The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Great. Welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I'm joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our two special guests today are Richard Cowan and Paula Pepper, both who have served on the State Capital Historic Commission, Historic Commission. And that's what we wanted to chat about today. The Capital Project has gotten a lot of attention. The so-called swing office space has been completed and is actually uh, and it's actually in operation right now. Kind of a weird building for my, I'm kind of an oldie, so I like old buildings. This one's very strange. Not even any elevator buttons on, in the elevators. But, uh, but we want to talk about that and what's next uh, in the annex, capital annex project and anything else you guys would like to talk about. So Richard and Paul, thank you very much. Well, and I should say, John, that uh, we also already started this conversation a few episodes ago on accident when we had uh, Chris McKelly on and our, our conversation just sort of wandered into this territory, uh, not an area of expertise uh, with Chris, although he was quite informed, uh, you know, for someone that's not. Yeah, we'll get that. Sure. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so we do, um, you know, we're we're coming back to revisit this in more depth this time around. So, Richard, I guess maybe first question to you. Um, where are we on this? What happens now? One building has been finished. Others, I guess, are in construction. And we have the, the, uh, the annex to talk about now. What happens with that? So, yeah, we're at a very interesting time in the life of the Capital Annex Project. Uh, the Swing Space Building has been completed. And by the way, the executive branch of the state of California really knows how to do good projects. Uh, all of the designers and builders in California compete very heavily uh, to win projects with the Department of General Services for office space uh, or renovation and rehabilitation of our historic buildings. Uh, the Unruh Building, right across from the Capitol, won national awards for preserving a beautiful architectural treasure while modernizing it with fire sprinklers, uh, uh, new elevators, new exiting, all of the safe uh, air conditioning and air change things we now want, and energy conservation while preserving all of its uh, architectural history and beauty. Uh, so the Swing Space Building is a nice building. Uh, it's got parking for uh, all of the legislators and the governor's senior staff. Um, and so uh, it's, it's going. The Annex project has got three elements. Uh, one is to do something about the 1950s Annex building. One element is to provide a visitor center on the west side where you see our historic uh, 1860s Capitol Vista uh, from Tower Bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's beautiful facade uh, and grounds and trees. And the third is to dig up Capitol Park. And we should let Paula Pepper explain about the tree loss with that to build yet another parking garage in addition to the one in the swing space, uh, 150 car spaces. Uh, and, and Paula, how many trees do we lose if we have 150 spaces? Well, just for the parking area, we're looking uh, around 30 trees being cut down. But for the overall study or the overall project, we're looking at uh, 150 trees being impacted. 
And if you think less than 10 years ago, there were a thousand trees in Capitol Park. Oh, wow. Now there are 860. And that's because we lost 10% with the last drought that ended like in 2014. The trees on the east side, excuse me, the uh, annex, I'm I'm looking at the capital, say, from the corner of 11th and L. The annex is on the east side. Yes. And the the uh, and when, when you mentioned the 800 trees, I know you have a, a background, environmental and, and, and ecological background. Is that are those trees coming out of that east section of the park as well as the west section or both or both? Both. I mean, there are going to be 32 trees, according to the environmental impact report that will be removed from the west side around the west steps, that wonderful people's porch that we have. But they're really going to be lost uh, on all sides of the Capitol. And there's legal, um, there are court suits, or there's, there's court action going on now. I thought I talked earlier with Cassie when we talked about this earlier. She said there are several suits right now involved in this project. Where are we on the legal front? Do you have any idea there? Okay, yeah. So there are four lawsuits filed by two different organizations. Uh-huh. Um, one uh, argues uh, that uh, the legislature made a secret pre-commitment to demolition only prior to doing its planning and its uh, environmental impact process, the CEQA process. Mm-hmm. Um, two, uh, uh, claim uh, all of the errors and mistakes made in the environmental process, the CEQA process, uh, of which there uh, is a pretty good long laundry list. Uh, and the fourth, uh, outside of the CEQA process, says that the legislature failed to go to the state historic preservation officer as every authority of the state of California is required to do by statute early in the planning of the project. And we have a very good state historic preservation officer. She plays you know, right down the middle, uh, you know, she's fair, uh, but she would have given them the information they would have needed to make a balanced decision on how many of their goals they could meet by rehabilitating uh, the annex. Uh, And, you know, it's kind of like, don't ask the question if you already know what the answer will be and you don't like the answer. Uh, They forgot to do that conveniently. And so that's the subject of the fourth lawsuit. All of them are in the process of being briefed and hearings will occur in May. Uh, But, you know, some of, I mean, this could drag out till September, October, I'm afraid. Even the expedited uh, process for the CEQA cases uh, uh, could go into the uh, later part of the year. Well, there's a lot of fighting in Sacramento, there has been for years over the California Environmental Quality Act. And in specific cases, it's been waived. I'm thinking of a sports stadium down in Los Angeles. That's probably not the only one, there are others. Uh, But here you have state construction um, getting involved with CEQA. And I think there's a a general sentiment to weaken CEQA as we go through this next legislative session. At least I've heard a lot about that. Do you have any sense about that as CEQA, or should it be weakened? Yeah, Paula, what, what do you think? From my perspective, CEQA is 
kind of belongs to the people and, and the laws there are to protect more of the interests of the people. So I find it particularly disturbing that our legislature works for projects that they support to find their ways around CEQA by passing new laws, uh-huh. new regulations. Yeah. Um, what, so what's the timeline on the, when we talk about the court suits, there are several, you mentioned four out there. Do you have any sense of what the timeline is on those? And is there a clock ticking here that there has to be a decision before work on that annex, more work on the annex starts? Well, um, among the things the legislature did uh, in, in funding this project, they closed to a very narrow window the right of the people to seek any injunction. Uh-huh. Um, and so they were successful in closing that window. So uh, the work is continuing apace um, while the lawsuits are being uh, heard. And of course, if a judge were to find that the lawsuits are correct, uh, that uh, pre-commitment was made in violation of the law. Uh, EIR processes required by the law were not followed and the SHPO visit was not done. Uh, then the state would be at risk of restoring back uh, what they're currently doing. And uh, Paula would shake her head and say, there's no going back on those beautiful old trees that have already been cut down uh, you know, that's irreversible damage that has occurred. Uh, so are we these, think the pre- are these all federal, or, excuse me, are these all state suits? We're not talking about in the federal venue, right? That's correct. Three of them are under the CEQA, the California court system. One is a state suit, but outside of the CEQA uh, umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, Paula, when we talk about the trees getting uh, cut down. The, the trees in Capitol Park aren't like a lot of trees in our yards. I mean, these are exotic, maybe, you know, from around the world, there's an amazing variety of foliage and trees and in, in the park. What, what Can you kind of describe the variety, the arboreal variety in Capitol Park a little bit? <laughs> yes. Of the 860 trees that exist right now, actually, seven fewer because uh, they've cut them down for this project. There are 210 unique species. And I used the area for for years to train my crews when we traveled all over the United States to, to take measurements of trees because we were involved with uh, developing software so that cities and now nations um, can analyze the ecosystem services provided by their trees. Uh And that's what's really interesting about this project because the governor and the legislature are really touting climate change nowadays, but there's a form of nimbyism happening. It's like, well, climate change is good for everybody else, but we can remove these 150 trees. And that's another 17% of all trees lost. So 27% will lose within one decade. And uh, I conducted a park-wide study in 2017 and presented it to the Historic State Capital Commission and legislative representatives. And the trees provide, you know, not only shade and beauty and historic context, 
but perhaps more importantly, the services they provide to us every single year. I mean, they intercept the same amount of carbon dioxide given off by 804 tanks of gasoline every year from our cars. And they take this and they store it in their wood and roots. And that's 4.1 million pounds of carbon that they store. All this is important for climate change. It'll end up if the, all these trees get removed, um, it'll end up going into landfills and, you know, back into the atmosphere. Uh, it was mentioned an underground. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, I had a question. I was over at the Capitol maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I saw that they were taking some trees and they had them in slings and they had dug out and were moving trees. So I, you know, I didn't see any being cut down. You know, they're, they, may have been already done that, but it looks like they're moving trees. And do you know, are they moving them within the park or are they moving them to other locations or what, what can you tell us about that? It was fascinating because these trees were huge and yes. basically sitting in a diaper and being all <laughs> kind of a fascinating, uh, a fascinating uh, look. Well, and you'll see if you go to the, the uh, North side of the Capitol, that one of the Senegal palms is already dead. Uh, that they were trying to remove. And they are moving all of these, not all of them, but uh, oh, from the east side, they're relocating um, 39 trees. But those will go into different parts of the park. But there's something that all of us who are consulting registered arborists use and that's the ANSI park or ANSI guidelines for tree relocation. And they say in the environmental impact report that they're going to follow that, but they aren't. Um, you saw the trees in, a, in slings. First, what they did was they excavated all these trees and they boxed them in their excavated holes. They used boxes that were too small and they did not follow the guidelines. And then a month to two months later, they've been relocating these trees. Was the relocation outside the park? No, it's uh, to the, most of the trees will, will be going into um, the Eastern side of the park, uh, the, more, the more already more treed part of the park, but their survival um, is questionable. You know, they're going to move 49 palms, palms that line L and N Street, some of the largest ever moved. They were planted in the 1890s up to 1908. And these trees, um, Sacramento, the city of Sacramento has had about a 50-50 success rate. And you already see the Senegal palm, which is much smaller, and it's dying. Or it's dead. So... I don't have a lot of faith in this so-called relocation. If they do build on the west side of the capital, an underground garage, that means for that, it's not far enough underground that there would be enough earth and dirt above them to sustain tree roots, I take it. So that whole rectangle, whatever area that is, would be bereft of trees if it went into effect and was completed. Actually, that's the underground garage is on the east side of the annex. Oh, okay. And it goes from uh, N Street 
to L Street along what was known as the 12th Street Corridor. And that's where the most uh, damage is happening right now. But would the underground garage underneath, would the underground but, garage underneath the annex as it exists now, is that going to be, that'll be taken out, I take it. Will that be changed? Yeah, so the, the, the plan that we're hoping to pause or stop and go back and replan uh, uh, demolishes the annex completely, including its underground parking garage. Uh -huh. okay. And we, we agree, by the way, uh, having parking, uh, vehicle parking and loading docks underneath the footprint of important public buildings is not something we want to do today. Uh, we don't argue with that. We don't argue with the fact that the air conditioning system is old. Uh, we don't argue with the fact that exiting in buildings today is done better than it was in 1950 and signage is better and uh, power is a greater need now. We all have printers and many more electric devices than uh, we had in 1950. Uh, but we think uh, there are other ways to solve the legislature's space needs than demolishing a building that's, and I'm gonna say only 70 years old. Uh, we heard on your last program, someone say, well, a building is 70 years old, it's time to come down. No, no, no. 70 years old is very brief. I can tell you that for sure. Okay, go ahead. I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm feeling the same. I worked on the 1860s Capitol renovation when I was a young engineer just out of the Navy in the Vietnam era. And I got to tell you, we loved the quality of the restoration work we were able to do. And the people who now live and work in the 1860s uh, capital find it really comfortable and safe and up to date. We could do the same thing in the annex. My idea, and I'm not an architect, would be to use the current basement as where we need more uh, legislative meeting rooms and uh, hearing rooms. Uh, because we can park in the swing space building that's already paid for. We think the renovation uh, can be done for half the price of the demolition and new bill. Uh, and the state is very expert at doing rehabilitation of historic buildings. The legislature, by the way, uh, your listeners may not know, the legislature only owns one building in the whole state, and that's the Capitol. All the other buildings are owned by the executive branch. So how have they done in taking care of their one building? We only gave them one building. Uh, in the Department of General Services did a study in 2005 and laid out the plan for improving the air conditioning space, upgrading the power, improving the exiting, doing all of the things that needed to be done. Now, Living in a house while you remodel the kitchen is not fun. I've done that, and I know it's not fun. The legislature found it inconvenient to follow DGS's plan. So it's to Paula and me, this seems really sorry now to say, ooh, we need better air conditioning. We need better power, so let's demolish the building. Uh, I know, Tim, John, if your hot water heater breaks, are you going to demolish your house? If your roof leaks, are you going to demolish your house? No, you're going to do the prudent things that owners do over time to expand the life of your property. 
the legislature failed to do that. And it's a little, I don't know, not, not uh, a good mark on them that they now say, oh, but we have problems we must demolish. Well, here's a question for you. So one of the things we did touch on the last time we, we discussed this issue is that the legislature can pass new laws. And in fact, there was a CEQA problem with UC Berkeley and they were not going to allow student, I think 10,000 students were not going to be making it in. And so in response to the judge's decision, they came back and they passed a law making that legal. Are you concerned that even if they lose these lawsuits, they would just turn around and then pass a new law that allowed whatever they want to do with the Capitol and, and allowed this all to continue despite a judge's ruling? Is that is that something you're you're looking at? What do you think, Paula? Well, I think, you know, it's it's definitely possible that they could do that. But as these lawsuit decisions come out, uh, I think there'll be a lot of coverage, finally, publicity about what decisions are. And if our organizations win our lawsuits, I think it would make it a little more difficult for the state to just go ahead and pass new laws. The public will be irate more than they are now. I mean, our organizations are unlike any other organizations that have fought these things before. We have taxpayers, environmentalists, architects, just the public, um, just this huge variety of people who are opposed to this. Not to mention the fact that we did a uh, a uh, a poll statewide, and over seventy percent of those polled were completely against this project. Are, are the projects halted until the suits are resolved? Are they in abeyance until the courts decide, or the projects go forward? And the you know, one hand, the projects go forward; on the other hand, the suits are in court. Is that How's that work? I have no idea. Yeah, that, that's a problem. Um, we, the, the CEQA law contemplates that even under an expedited calendar, one can file the lawsuits and timely have them resolved in, in the fact that uh, uh, immediately after approval of the EIR, you know, there's a procurement process and getting ready for construction. So environmental issues can be resolved and not delay projects. That's the purpose of the expedited. In this case, the state took five months to produce the record it was supposed to have available uh, last September. Uh, and so we find uh, ourselves in the uncomfortable position of now having the suit uh, only now being heard. Um, and you know, construction work is going on. The Malmquist sculptures have been removed from the east side of the Capitol. Uh, he's the sculptor who did all of the wonderful artwork work for the uh, San Francisco uh, World's Fair. Uh, wonderful uh, sculptures. And we don't know what else is going on inside. Uh, the building is, uh, is kind of blocked off. Uh, we would like to believe uh, that the Joint Rules Committee is going to be uh, a good uh, steward, ladies and gentlemen, and that he will not uh, begin doing destructive uh, demolition. Uh, 
while the court uh, cases are being heard, uh, but the law is not currently preventing them from doing that. Was there any process of uh, bringing the apps back? I love the apps. And I saw these old historic, you know, photos. It was beautiful. And it just seemed like such a, you know, just a wonderful piece of part of the architecture of the Capitol. And it fit right in, you know. Is there any talk about that or is that not happening? <laughs> yeah, it, it's not happening. Uh, I, it was a beautiful uh, piece. If you, if you subscribe to the idea that the Capitol should be a building uh, that communication flows as well as it currently does, uh, if you try to make the connections only on the north and south and leave room for an apps, then no one can see it from outside the building because you've blocked it off with the connections. So uh, no, I'm sure that got studied because uh, all of us who are interested in preservation uh, agree with you. That was a terrible thing to lose. Uh, uh, that's, that's one thing I was actually, John, John beat me to the question, but I'm wondering, uh, this is not the first time the Capitol has undergone a significant change. Uh, you know, when they tore down the apps and built the annex 70 years ago. Now, uh, are you aware of any similar movement to, to what you are doing now that was in existence back then? Were, were folks fighting to preserve the apps and fighting to, to get, rid of, or get rid of the plans for the annex back then? Are we, is this just a, another revisiting of what happened 70 years ago? You know, I, that's a wonderful question. I don't know the history of opposition uh, to the annex. I know that the architect uh, who designed the annex was very sensitive to think he was ahead of his time. Uh, today, we have the Secretary of the Interior guidelines for the rehabilitation of historic buildings. And among the things it says to do is to use materials that are sympathetic to the original building you're adding to. If you can, be narrower, shorter, try to not overwhelm the original building. Uh, and Alfred Eichler succeeded at that as he succeeded in designing lots of beautiful buildings and the Tower Bridge. And he was a state employee. It's kind of fun, the history of that design. Uh, he used lightweight concrete, which was very in its infancy at that time, uh, so that he could make a light building because he wanted it to rest on a matte foundation, just basically a, a thick concrete slab, rather than try to drive piles next to the brick 1860s capital, which had not yet gone through its restoration. Uh, and so he was very, very clever designer. Uh, there's also a list of things the Secretary of the Interior says not to do when uh, building next to a historic registered building. And the designs that we've seen from the Joint Rules Committee violate all of them. The materials are not sympathetic. It's wider, taller, longer than the 1860s Capitol. Uh, it's, it's, I mean... It's really shocking uh, that they think this is an appropriate design to marry up to our 1860s capital uh, that we all love. Just shocking. I, I, you know, when that design came question. out, I, I, I almost fell over. I have a question for Paul. You'd mentioned the, uh, the trees. 
uh, some of which had been planted in the 1890s. How old are some of the trees in Capitol Park? We have any older than that or is that our? Oh, no. You know, the, the uh, 10 or so deodar cedars that are on the west side that are just so beautiful. They were planted in the 1870s. Oh, wow. wow. And there are several others. And unfortunately, at least four of those trees will be damaged with the development of the uh, underground or partially underground visitor center. Um, Their roots will be cut in order to make room for this new visitor center. And when roots are cut, the crowns of trees are affected. And uh, so... You know, I mean, the park people have been doing a great job, especially in the last four years, of maintaining the trees in the park. But you'll notice if you look at historic photos, there's a lot less crown to those trees. They're old, but they're being babied. And I don't think cutting the roots is going to help them along. Well, fair enough. Uh, Paula, thank you so much. Paula Pepper, thank you for joining us. Richard Cowan, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, today, today. It was great. We'd go on forever on that. I love trees. I like the Capitol too. So uh, Richard, Richard Collin and Paula Pepper, thank you so much for joining us and chatting about trees and the Capitol and the restoration projects. And now it's time to go into our long awaited feature, who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Well, we came up with uh, David Campos in San Francisco former supervisor lost, decisively lost in a race against Matt Haney for an assembly seat. Uh, He was trounced, basically. And that's not good, especially for someone, I presume, with a certain amount of political profile in San San Francisco. But he got beat pretty bad. Tim? Yeah, I I was following this race somewhat closely because the whole NIMBY-YIMBY uh, evolution in California politics has been really interesting. You know, NIMBY, not in my backyard, YIMBY, yes, in my backyard. And uh, this race, from everything I've read, really boiled down to, are you in favor of building more housing or are you in favor of building more affordable only housing? And uh, Haney was sort of on the uh, rising tide lifts all boats uh, argument and wanted to build as much housing as possible. And uh, Mr. Campos was definitely more motivated to build affordable housing and had opposed some housing projects that were not, did not, his view, include enough affordable housing. And it sounds like the people of San Francisco saw uh, Haney's vision as the more uh, effective approach. And uh, it was pretty dramatic. He didn't get beat quite by two to one, but darn close. You know, I think part, uh, part of the lesson here always is in California elections is that money talks. In direct con- uh, contributions, Campos and Haney were roughly, were pretty equal, about 700,000 or so apiece. But in PAC money, Haney, uh, uh, pro Haney money overwhelmingly. 1.7 million was one figure I saw. Most of that from the Association of California Realtors, and obviously they represent interests who want to build, and they represent people who represent buyers and sellers. So Haney had the money, and it showed up in the election. Obviously, in the election results, I think another thing that always amazes me about San Francisco elections is how few people actually show up to vote. Uh, 
I'm quoting KQED here, I think their number is 23% of eligible voters actually actually cast ballots. Of registered voters, about a third, about 32, 33%. That's pretty dismal for people who consider themselves politically engaged, and most of us do. Those kinds of numbers are really are dispiriting. And it means that whoever gets elected is getting elected with uh, really uh, a minority of the people in the district. Although in defense of the voters who didn't vote, there will be another election in June. So, I mean, I vote all the time. I'm an obsessive voter. I don't, I can't remember the last time I missed an election that I didn't vote in. Uh, but, but if there was one I was going to miss, it'd be one where I'm going to be voting again on the same thing basically in about two months. So that, I imagine that had to drive down turnout, just the idea that you're going to be uh, voting. Then there's also the possibility that most voters weren't that concerned because Haney and Campos really are aligned uh, on most issues. They, the one where they really were, were apart was on the housing approach, but on pretty much everything else, their votes, I think, will be pretty similar. They seem like they're both coming from uh, a progressive uh, background. And so maybe people are just like, oh, you know, I don't know which one's better. I'm not that motivated, you know. So that would make some sense to me. Fair enough. Uh, Tim Foster, thank you very much. And I'm saying we will we'll talk to you next time around. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.